0: But we're doing the book of Daniel. And I wanted to uh, give a little hack to you guys. Um, Daniel's a short book. You can read it quickly. There's actually a movie called The Book of Daniel for free on YouTube. It's not perfect, but sometimes stuff like this helps you to imagine the Bible. Like watch the movie, read the book. You can even say, oh, the movie was wrong about this and this, but right about this and that. But, but just, just watch, watch the movie, seriously. And if you're, if you're one of these ADD people that you need to have your movie really quick, you can go to your YouTube preferences and check playback speed, 1.5, and then put the subtitles on. And the Bible Project has a video, like a summary of Daniel. And, and there's two, video, two Bible Project videos you've got to watch. One is called The Theme of Exile. There's two on the theme of exile in the Bible. And there's one on the book of Daniel. So if you watch all three of them, you're 16 minutes of your life to understanding what I think is one of the most important books summarizing how can we live and follow Jesus in the United States in the year 2021 in a way that is faithful to God. Because Daniel stands apart from a lot of the prophets. Is Daniel... I believe is answering a question and that question is how do you follow God living in Babylon and throughout the history of the church Babylon has become the symbol of Wherever you live that isn't hundred percent under the reign and rule of Jesus All right, which by the way is everywhere so, so, I am an expert, am an expert American, American because I have I've, I've, I've spent, spent the last uh, 49 and a half years studying what it means to live in Ohio and surrounding areas. So, I'm an expert American. In fact, there's only maybe about 15 of you or 10 of you older than me. So, I have got I mean, I've got some experience here, but like the McCains, I don't know if you win because you've lived overseas for so long. I might ha- we'll have to calculate the years. I've only done like Two years combined overseas you 've done many more, but uh, as far as that, so if I ever point out issues in our nation it 's not because I hate America. I love America, you know I love China, I love the Philippines, but I am not going to point fingers outside when there 's plenty of stuff that i 'm a shareholder and i 'm partially responsible for i 'm a tax paying American citizen, so i 'm going to Specifically, I think it's a much emotionally and healthier thing to do and a mature thing to do is to be an expert of your own shortcomings or the shortcomings you're a shareholder on and maybe be uh, roughly uh, informed about the shortcomings of others, right? So I, don't, I, I was accused by someone, you're a communist. There's actually someone who's a pastor. They called me a communist on Facebook. I said, I don't think you know what that term means, you know? Uh, Keep in mind, uh, people were redistributing wealth long before Karl Marx wrote his thing. And they started by Christians. But anyway, that's, that's another story. So, Daniel, calling the series Babylon USA or Babylon in Your Backyard. And uh, I just wanted to make like four points today that really, and as I said, you got to re-listen to Daniel's children's service. if. To get the full experience of today. So if you didn't, if you zoned out and checked your email or Facebook or your Robin Hood stocks, they're not even trading today. Why did you do that? Uh, Go back and rewatch it. But uh, first of all, who was Daniel before all of this? And right there in chapter one, I'm just gonna, it says, Daniel was an Israelite from a royal family and the nobility. So Daniel was a part of the ruling class of Israel. I touched on this last week, but I'm gonna to touch it a bunch more today. So uh, keep that in mind. Daniel was a part of the ruling class of Israel. He was nobility. Daniel, before Israel was conquered by Babylon, Daniel had power and privilege. It, there were plenty of poor people and vulnerable people within the borders of Israel but one thing we know for sure: Daniel was not poor, and Daniel was not vulnerable. If you read Jesus' beatitudes in Matthew five, you know, blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are those in give all, the blessed are those. Daniel would not have checkmarked any of the boxes of who are blessed in the preamble to Jesus's Sermon on the Mount. However, what? we see is we, we get a summary. All we needed is one sentence to know what was Daniel like before he was made a slave in Babylon. So one sentence says it all. Why do I say that? Well, uh, the book of Daniel is surrounded by a bunch of other prophets in the Bible. You know, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, you know, Lamentations, uh, Daniel, I mean, Amos, uh, Isaiah, uh, Opadiah. Well, I think I'm I, the, the only, only pastor, pastor I know that ever did a series on Obadiah early yeah. on. And it, was, it was fun. It's like the shortest book. You can read it in like the time it takes to urinate. Anyway, so Daniel's whole story was he was the, the ruling class of Israel. So why did Israel go into captivity? I did a little experiment uh, today. Is I grew up in a tradition where we needed to have a pastor explain to us all these cryptic meaning... In the prophets, we'd read the prophets, and we would get a series in how to unlock all the codes and whatever to what this meant. And it just so happens that the interpretations, those arcane interpretations of those prophets, always synced with a worldview that said somehow the community I was a part of was really good, everyone else was real bad, and something. And don't listen to rock and roll and all kinds of other ancillary stuff added to that. But the the message message I took from that is is, these books, man, if I really want to stretch my brain and want to be a super spiritual person, I'll get a pile this high of commentaries and and study study the arcane meanings of these books. Now, let me tell you, if they were arcane meanings, then every prophet who, these are sermons they preached, every prophet was a miserable teacher. You know, you never go to ratemyprofessor.org or whatever and say, such a deep and amazing professor, I didn't understand a word they said. Can you imagine like saying like like say the the more inscrutable a professor is, the better a teacher they are. Not going to happen. But somehow we rate these books as being works of genius because they're so hard to understand. Bull. That's not true. Now, there are some parts that are hard to understand, meaning this is a couple thousand years ago. A lot of history we don't know. I mean All these nations, I don't know a single thing about them. I barely know all the nations in Africa, let alone all the nations that were in the ancient Near East way back when. Wikipedia is your friend. Uh, Studies show that Wikipedia pages are actually more accurate than any encyclopedia or book ever published by and large. So if you look up any nation mentioned in the book, any of the prophetic books, nine times out 10, you'll have a Wikipedia article and you are one bathroom sitting I mentioned the bathroom too much from understanding the context. So that's the hard part, but the sermons are easy. So I did an experiment today. Daniel begins with Israel going to captivity, but most of the prophets either all or in part deal with, why was Judah being taken into captivity? Most of the prophets, not all of them, but most of them deal with the issue of what did these guys do to get into trouble? And if you go before the prophets and read uh, the Torah, the first five books of the Old Testament, the Jewish scriptures, you'll find all these uh, things that God told his people to be about and all these things that God told his people to do that in the rest of the story, you see either they almost never did them or they never did them. So you can read, in some of the law, in between that you get really weird laws about how to deal with household mold and you know OSHA standards of the ancient Near East. That's complicated, but there's a lot of stuff in the Torah that's simple to understand. Like care for the fatherless, the widow, welcome the refugee. You know, uh, all you know, don't steal, and all that other good stuff. Be kind. In fact, the Torah was the first. Religious text in human history that we know of that had a moral component to it. Now, we had legal texts that told you don't do this, but as far as a religious text that coupled the worship of a God with, so therefore this is how you should live, Judaism was the first that had an ethical component. All other religions were align with this God or he'll destroy you, or do these things. You know, you, know, you know, engage, engage in these, these fertility, fertility rites and hurt your, your kids, kids in this, in this way place, and then this, this God will give you, know, you a... You know, they weren't particularly, like, moral. No, no one in the ancient Near East would have ever said, well, all religions, religions basically, basically teach the same thing. Because, because to worship, Marduk, Marduk, and to worship Marduk, Marduk and to worship the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob were polar opposites. In fact, God, God made it so clear. The uh, story where Abraham is... Abraham is called to sacrifice Isaac in the last minute. God intervenes and says, no, never do this. And then later on the Torah, we get a don't ever sacrifice your children verse. So because that was a central to the origin story of Israel, their big thing was human sacrifice, child sacrifice, never again, and it's like, duh. Well, we live with 2,000 years of accumulated heart and wisdom that just takes for granted that you don't kill your kids. But in the ancient Near East, hey, you got to let one of your kids die so all your other kids can die if you want to have a good harvest. So we take that for granted. Ancient Near East, it was not a given. So why was Israel sent to captivity? Back to the experiment. I just opened up a couple prophets, and I skimmed them. And whenever it talked about Moab or Edom, I skipped it. I just wanted to read about Judah and Israel and see what were the prophets calling out about these guys. So number one, uh, what I came up with is they were uh, called out for their idolatry. Worshipping Baal or Marduk, there's an overlap there, Daniel mentioned that, and worshipping gods... And what's interesting about these gods is there's this idea that you become like what you aspire to, you become like what you worship. So in a way, all these gods that Israel fell into worship were like the Me Too poster child gods. These were gods that all, part of the worship of all these gods involved sexual exploitation. You know, and we actually have some Christian denominations in America that have covered up for sexual abuse. And if you want to look at the standards they've lived by and how they haven't especially protected young people and women in those denominations, they actually were living the pattern of Marduk worship. The largest evangelical denomination in America, based on their policy of not uh, trusting those who've been abused and not standing up for the press and covering up and moving pastors around, were actually engaged in Marduk worship. So, so people wonder why, why do you I criticize evangelicalism? What are you? I said, well, no, I don't criticize, I criticize evangelicalism. I criticize what passes what for it in America that covers, covers up, up for sexual abuse and misogyny. And misogyny. Amen. Yeah. So idolatry—you become like what you worship—and so Israel was becoming uh, a nation that objectifies humans and engages in uh, neglect of the poor and sexual exploitation. Why was Israel sent to captivity? Otherwise, neglecting the poor. Uh, fatherless, widow, and disabled, not welcoming refugees, alien and stranger. Uh, Israel was engaged in policies that ensured there would be multi-generational poverty. Uh, God invented this thing called Jubilee that every 70 years all debts are forgiven and you get whatever land back that was foreclosed upon. So you couldn't have people making multi-generational profit off of one person's crop failure, the roll of the dice. For some reason the powerful in israel never celebrated the year of jubilee and israel went to captivity 70 years which is the amount of years they did not celebrate the year of jubilee so god remembered that and they also engaged in a foreign policy that where the enemy of my enemy is my friend israel was called to trust god this is going to play in a little bit later israel was called to trust god with their provision and safety and not, not try to build their own safety net of security I meaning don't, don't build alliances with nations that do the, the things, things like Marduk, Marduk worshipers do don't, don't do, do the stuff and don't, don't align yourself with nations that exploit people, people. and Is Israel wanted, wanted to be safe to because, because they wanted they wanted to, uh, they they wanted wanted to preserve, they wanted preserve their hun- centuries, centuries of ignoring jubilee, jubilee. In the system where centuries, they ignored these policies and priorities that were close to the heart of God and close to the heart of Jesus' son. And because of that, they allied themselves with other nations. But what happens with enemy of my enemy is my friend foreign policy, uh, students of recent American history, is next next thing you know with the enemy of my enemy is my friend, well, they become your enemy and your former enemy becomes your friend and you end up having your, your troops shot on by weapons you provided to the generation before. That's, that's American history. Enemy of my enemy foreign policy is a safety net that God abhorred. So when I look at all these sins, ensuring multi-generational uh, poverty through no season of debt forgiveness, Dude, this isn't some commie agenda thing. This is just Bible. This is just simple Bible. Now, what's complex, if you really want to have a time wrestling with these scriptures, just come up with a gymnastic way to avoid the clear teaching on all these mandates, and then you'll get it, but I don't recommend it. It, it, It's depressing, and if you're like me and you already struggle with chemical depression, you don't need to add reading the Bible wrong to make it worse. Um, So that's why Israel was sent into uh, uh, captivity. So... If our current understanding of God is devoid of what we call the Jesus ethic, we are not actually worshiping God. If our understanding of God is devoid of the Jesus ethic, we may use the word God, we may use the word Christian, but we're not actually worshiping that God. We're worshiping some other ancient Near Eastern God under a different name. Um, A lot of what uh, passes for Christianity is more in similarity with Marduk worship. So, so here's the, so I, I just read a few, you, I just literally went through and said, i want to take a half an hour and just skim the prophets and skim Leviticus and see if I can see a um, description of what Israel's idolatry, what behaviors did it end up in. So Leviticus 1933 through 34. I need to look at my time because I want to be sensitive. Okay. When a stranger sojourns with you in your land, you should not do him wrong. The stranger who sojourns with you shall be to you as the native among you, and you shall love him as yourself. So what that means, if a stranger is with you, and by the way, people never left their homeland unless they were in danger from physical violence or poverty. They couldn't feed their kids. That People, you don't leave home. Home's awesome, unless you can't feed people or you're in danger. So sojourners would come to Israel because either they lived in a dangerous environment or they couldn't they feed themselves. themselves. And, and God, God said, hey, treat them just like they're you your family. family. There's no, well, we got to take, gotta take care, care of our people our first. People I, I, I love people. what's going on. I love other nations, but so we, we really need to care for our neighbors, neighbors first. Well, according to first, Jesus, that other nation is your neighbor and you're, you're supposed, supposed to treat them as much as you would treat your, your firstborn daughter. daughter. Yeah. You know, That's so also, simple, simple stuff there. This is isn't arcane. You were strangers in the land of Egypt and I am your God. Basically saying your belief in God is coupled with how you care for strangers. Now, um, people, say, people say, well, I want to do that, but I want to obey the laws, but I think we should be lawful. Well, there's actually a passage coming up here about that that will make some of us uncomfortable. Uh, Jeremiah 2.13, my people have committed two sins. They've forsaken me as a spring of living water, and they've dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns that can't hold water. Basically, God's saying all of the sins of Israel can basically say is they don't trust me for their day to day. They don't trust me for water. They don't, water is more important than food. You can go a couple of weeks without food. You die very quickly without water. So when God calls himself water, he says, I am here to preserve your existence. And they're saying, you don't trust me to protect your existence. So you've engaged in policies of self-protection that say you don't trust me. It's anti-worship. When we put our safety net in things that are not of God's priorities, we are worshiping a different God, practically. Isaiah 1, 15 through 20. When you spread out your hands in prayer, I hide my eyes from you. Even when you offer many prayers, I'm not listening. Your hands are full of blood. Wash and make yourselves clean. Take your evil deeds out of my sight. Stop doing wrong. Learn to do right. Seek justice. Defend the oppressed. Take up the cause of the fatherless and the widow. Plead the case of the widow. Come now, let us settle the matter, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they will be white as snow. Though they are red as crimson, they shall be like wool. Basically, people who perpetuate injustice are offered an opportunity to have their lives fixed. And Jesus fills that prophecy. If you're willing and obedient, you will eat the good things of the land. But if you resist and rebel, which they did, you will be devoured by the sword. For the mouth of the Lord is spoken. Isaiah 10, 1-3. Woe to those who make unjust laws. So people, woe to those, judgment upon those that make laws that do not align with God's priorities. So what that means is, there is you can be in a nation and be a shareholder in a nation that makes laws that go against the, flow of, the simple flow of scripture. And obviously the, God hates those laws. And somehow you, the indication here says, laws that deprive the poor of their rights, and withhold justice from the oppressed of my people, making widows their prey and robbing the fatherless. Well, what, what laws oppress, what does that mean by laws that oppress the poor? We don't, you know, no, we don't have a nations that oppress the poor. I mean, laws that oppress the poor. Well, it's very clear in the Torah what kind of laws God is talking about, and that's any law that doesn't involve a jubilee ethic, any practice that doesn't involve where people can glean the fields, where people lose their land, they can get a portion of the food from someone else's land. We know what God's law is like. So anything that doesn't conform to the jubilee policies of God is non-just law. So we know that if you have, if you don't proactively, proactively have laws that allow people to break the cycle of poverty, you're Babylon. You are Marduk. So this is not, guys, this 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 is not, uh, brain surgery here. Uh, when will you? Uh, to whom will you run for help? Where will you leave your riches? So, what does an unjust law look like to God? Well, Jeremiah seven. For if you truly amend your ways and your doing, if you truly execute justice one with another, if you do not oppress the ailing and the fatherless of the widow or shed innocent blood in this place, if you do not go after other gods to your own hurt. Then I will let you dwell in the place, in the land that I gave of old to your fathers forever. So we've got a legacy. Guys, by the way, believe it or not, this is a message of hope. But once again, I'm talking about my expertise. We have a bunch of stories that if the Bible were being written today would be included as Bible stories. You see a lot of these harrowing stories where God's people engaged in injustice but we can literally go through our headlines for the past two years, be it Columbus, or be it the United States, or just history that we weren't taught, like the, taught, like the Tulsa Massacre. Those are all Bible caliber injustices. If the Bible were written today, those would be in the Bible. Um, but Jeremiah says this, 22, verse, chapter 22, he defended the cause of the poor and the needy, and so all went well. Is that not what it means to to know me? So So there is a cause that benefits the vulnerable and it's not, if you actually defend defend it, it. and to defend the cause of the vulnerable presumes there are organized organized groups against that. that. And And so so any nation we're in, be it Costa Rica or United States, our our goal goal as followers of God is to to determine what organizational forces are aligned to not allow people to prosper and be cared for. And then we identify the, and we uh, defend the cause against those. So we're actively involved against unjust policies. And we have examples of that throughout the scripture. Rahab illegally harbored the spies and protected them from being killed. We have all these times in the scripture where people are commended for breaking the law. I'm not going to give you an exact application of that in our lives. I'm just saying this is the Bible. we got to wrestle with it. So... The main point of Daniel, I believe, is expanding on one verse in Jeremiah. The verse is 29, four through seven. Well, one passage. This is what the word almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those I carried into exile, from Jerusalem to Babylon. First of all, Babylon carried Israel into exile. God takes the credit. Why does God take the credit? He said, I called you to be a certain people. You didn't. In the natural consequence of that, you were carried away. I built a world where Injustice doesn't work long term. So God carried Israel into captivity because they sang the song of injustice. He defended the cause of the... So this is what the Lord Almighty says to Israel and those he carried into exile from Jerusalem. I'm gonna run over a little bit. Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens. Eat what they produce. Marry, have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons. Give your daughters in marriage so that you may have sons and daughters. Increase in number, do not decrease. Also seek the peace in the prosperity of the city which I've carried you. So Israel was not called to conquer Babylon. They were called to seek the peace of Babylon. They weren't called to conquer Babylon. There's Christian books written about storming the seven mountains of Babylon. They were called, no, we're gonna seek the peace of Babylon and Daniel shows us how. So uh, Daniel actually gives us a story that describes one person obeying that. And it said Daniel was a person of wealth, power, and privilege who lost all of his superpowers based on being carried into Babylon. So Babylon is implicitly a redemption story of someone who was part of a system that didn't care about the poor. I love redemption stories because I feel like my life is a walking redemption story itself. I didn't start out doing what Jesus wanted me to do. This has been a slow awakening and I'm still waking up. Daniel 1. In the, yes, in the, you want to just do communion? Okay. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem, besieged it, and the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, along with the articles of the temple. Those he carried, he carried off to the, the temple of, of his God, A.K. Marduk in Babylonia, and put them in the house of God. So basically Israel's temple items got put in the temple of the God they were in practice worshiping. Then the king ordered Ashpenaz, king of the court officials, to bring into the king's service some of the Israelites from the royal family the nobility, Young men without any physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, qualified to serve in the king's palace. He was to teach them the language and literature of the Babylonians, you know, erase their culture. The king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table, and they were trained for three years, and after that, they were to enter the king's service. Among those who were chosen were some from Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah. The chief official gave them new names. To Daniel, Belteshazzar. To Hananiah, Shadrach. To Mishael, Meshach. And to Azariah, Abednego. But Daniel resolved not to defy himself with the royal food and wine. And he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself this way. Now, God had caused the official to show favor and compassion to Daniel. But the official told Daniel, I'm afraid of my lord and king who's assigned your food and drink. Why should he see you looking worse than the other men your age? The king would then have my head because of you. And Daniel and said to the guard, the guard whom the chief official had appointed over Daniel, Daniel Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah, please, please test your servants, your servants for ten, ten days. Give it's us not nothing but vegetables to eat and water to drink. Water then compare our, our appearance with that of the young men who eat the eat royal food, and treat, treat your, your servants in accordance with what you see. see. So, so he agreed to this and tested them ten days. At the end of the ten days, they looked healthier and better nourished than any young men who ate the royal food. So the guard took away their choice food and wine, and they were to drink and gave them vegetables and said, and to these four men God gave knowledge and understanding of all kinds of literature and learning, and Daniel could understand visions and dream all kinds of dreams. I wanna stop it there. So it shows God giving them gifts after this act. Now Daniel was the, you know, the winner of the game of Israel, but it doesn't talk about him having gifts other than being, being a pretty boy. And being wealthy before this act of faithfulness then it says God gave him spiritual gifts and prophetic gifts so this was to say there was a change in Daniel because I would call this the first act of faithfulness for Daniel the first act of act of faithfulness now people want to say we got to do the Daniel diet and there's the John the Baptist diet you know eat locusts which are in vogue right now I guess there is You can can actually, there's there's so many different different recipes recipes in the Bible Bible, that you can can make make a God's God's diet for people people, book for for each one. Ezekiel Ezekiel bread, I I love Ezekiel Ezekiel bread. bread. So So, there's a passage passage just to say, say, therefore be a vegetarian. Well, in the same way, uh, it wasn't saying if you follow Jesus, you have to be a pescatarian. You know, it's the point that there was a cultural identification with the God of Israel by not eating on clean food. And apparently... Everything all the meat they served him was bacon because Daniel couldn't have meat there and bacon was forbidden by the Torah Because God was saving bacon to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Um, So they were they they said I'm going to maintain a distinction from you by observing this part of the Torah And not eat your bad food the point of this was this Daniel was not making a compromise in his faith like the entire nation of Israel did prior to captivity. Daniel said, my safety is the hands of God. He said, test me, look and see. You know, listen, I know a lot of people that do a paleo diet that could run circles around vegetarians and vegans. I'm not saying it's always that way. Daniel was definitely not paleo here. All right, so he's eating these vegetables, but for some reason he bulked up. They were strong, they were handsome. What he did is he said, God is my protector. He wasn't engaging in compromise for a safety net. He said, I'm going to follow this little thing to the best of the Torah as I understand it, and God is going to provide. He took the risk, and God provided. So the first act of faithfulness was not entrusting the evil safety nets that Israel entrusted. So if we are to be the faithful in Babylon, we need to check our safety nets. we got to check... what What are we shareholders shareholders in i I, I, I and that's that's a that's a lifelong deal by the way i'm I'm not not trying to virtue virtue signal here or something like Like, what i've noticed is god doesn't reveal 10 epic fails at at once in my My life life. god loves loves me so so much and he's so gentle and kind god generally brings up one thing at a time in our lives people bring up 10 things if you get in a fight with someone or one of your friends is calling you out a lot of times one person, One person to another, to another. we'll bring it. We'll, we'll wait, wait till we have a laundry mind. list of things that are wrong with someone. In our contemplative, intimate time with God, my experience of the Holy Spirit is God, God takes, takes a long, long time. time. Sometimes God, God take takes time. God takes time. God, God, takes time. God, God no, don't go there. Uh, sometimes, sometimes God, God. God, God does one thing at a time. In fact, if you look at the whole story of Israel and what gave birth to Jesus, God is content with a couple thousand years to accomplish one thing. So God is patient. People are in a hurry. So this is not to shame any of us. My question is, I believe the Holy Spirit wants to reveal to us one thing we put trust in that is a banner saying, I don't trust in God. In stand in that one thing. You know, you know, one, one thing, thing is, is, I look at my, my temptations, temptations in current passes. One, one temptation, temptation is to numb out. I don't I trust that I can make it through the pain of what's currently going on. So, so I, nurse I nurse a buzz in order to take, take the edge off of the pain because I don't believe God can meet me in this time of suffering. I don't trust God's going to provide. So even though I have resource to be generous in this area, I'm not going to. I mean, the list goes on, but I want to pray for the Holy Spirit to come. Adrian's going to kind of close us up. And let's just ask God to reveal one crappy safety net in one act of faithfulness to take its place. So we, like Daniel, as a way of walking this out, is the first act of faithfulness. Holy Spirit, come.